I was I was loving it too much that night specifically. <laughs> I was I was so hungry all day, and we had we had okra stew, which is another one of my favorites. Oh. Um, and you know the the person on our team, my sister, her name is T. Um, Tienge, and she she was our cook, and so she cooked the okra stew. And they said they're like, we also have cassava leaf, and I was like, I'm gonna do both. And they told me they're like, um, my friends all call me Pumui, which is white man over there, and they're like, Pumui, you need to be very careful. This could be bad for your stomach. And I'm like, I'll be totally okay. Um, and I was not okay. I definitely <laughs> spent a lot of time the next day in the bush. Um, Yeah, it's your boy DA Tang representing the Anton Femme Night 5.5. And I've got a very special guest on Zoom with me today. I've got Dustin in the building. Oh, sorry, in the Zoom building. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Oh, my days, guys. This feels so weird. My first ever Zoom interview that I've ever done. Yeah, welcome to the show. How are you feeling? I'm feeling very good. I'm happy to be here. Happy to, you know, share my experiences I've had traveling in a country that feels very much like home to me. I'm glad that you feel that way. So, you know, for those that don't know, would you like to like, describe, you know, who you are and why I brought you here today? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, so my name is Dustin uh, online. I go by Manatee Media. Um, and I, over the past couple of years, have spent a lot of time in Sierra Leone. Um, specifically, two times I was there to be a lead videographer um, on a walk across the entire country of Sierra Leone. Two different times, once going 315 miles, and another time going 520 miles, um, all on foot, no vehicles. Um, and we would walk village to village and, you know, have conversations with locals about this issue of rape and sexual violence, which, um, for those that don't know, is a big issue in Sierra Leone, but also it's a big issue all throughout the world. That's most definitely. And I'm glad that, you know, you went out your way to raise awareness because that is really a big issue across the world. So I just like to get straight into it and ask that what made you go toward go to Sierra Leone if it's a global thing? So the opportunity came from my senior year at university. Uh, one of my professors was a man named Hindalo Pokawa, who is from Sierra Leone, and that's who I did the walk with. And I first visited Sierra Leone in January of 2020, right before COVID. So the world was still in many sense very normal. And I went there for about two weeks. And I figured, even though two weeks was a very cool experience, I had to see more of Sierra Leone. You know, it was unlike anywhere I'd been before. Um, I love warm weather, so it was a perfect fit. And in the, in the summer of 2020, um, there was an event that happened in my hometown of Minneapolis, Minnesota, that most people around the world have heard about. Um, there was a man by the name of George Floyd, um, who was murdered by police in our community. Um, and it sparked outrage across the world. And where I lived in the city was just about three miles from where he was killed. So I was you know, right in the heart of ultimately what was the closest thing to a war between you know, the people and the government here in my country. Hmm. But out of that, there was a man named Terry Wills who walked from Alabama, which is a state all the way in the south of the United States, all the way up to Minneapolis. I think it was something like 800 miles that he walked. And so I saw this as well as my brother Hindelo. 
And from that, Hindala was inspired to do something similar, but in his own home country of Sierra Leone. Hmm. And Hindala runs an organization, which we can talk more later, uh, called Sierra Leone Foundation for New Democracy. It does agriculture and early childhood education. And, you know, he asked me the question, if there are young girls in the country, young women who are being abused and taken advantage of, how can I continue to run this school without first addressing this issue of, um, you know, rape and sexual violence, you know? And so he told me, he's like, I have a crazy idea. I'm like, I'd love to hear it. And he said, he's like, let's walk 315 miles on foot all the way from Kailan in the east all the way to Freetown. Um, and this was right around the time when I bought my very first camera, just a small GoPro. Um, and I asked him, I said, can I be the lead videographer? And he said, absolutely. Um, you know, and up to that point, I don't know if I had ever walked more than 10 miles in a single day. So I didn't know if I was prepared or capable, but I figured the opportunity was one that had the potential to ultimately change my life and give me experiences and perspectives that would not be gained elsewhere um so i had to take the opportunity i definitely respect that so i wanted to ask like why 350 miles because that's a lot <laughs> that is definitely a lot of traveling so why 315 mm -hmm. in particular 315 was ultimately just the distance so we did kailan to freetown the very first time um and there was there was no significance in the number per se um, okay. but the route that we took started in the East and went through the entire country. And we hit big cities, uh, such as Bo in the South. Um, Kailan is a bigger city in the East and we finished in Freetown. Uh, but we also spent time in the rural areas. Um, you know, I think from my own experience in Sierra Leone, when you're in places like Freetown or Bo or Kenema, there's a lot of people and there's a lot of organizations doing great work. But I also feel oftentimes the rural areas and, you know, the small communities are often forgotten, um, both by the government of Sierra Leone, as well as, you know, outside organizations. So, um, you know, giving a voice to people from those communities that often is unheard uh, was very important for us. No, I definitely respect that. Definitely respect that. And I wanted to ask, because obviously you didn't, it wasn't just you by yourself. So would you like to say who was in your team and what different roles that you guys all had to make this happen? Yes. So we had two different walks. The first walk, uh, which was January of 2021, uh, me and Hindalo were the two people walking. We would walk every day from town to town. And we also had um, my brother Abdu, as well as Kini Toma, who are from the village of Mandima, which is in Kenema district in Sierra Leone. But they were the ones who would drive the bike. They would carry all the supplies, um, as well as communicate with the towns and the villages ahead to say, hey, we're coming, uh, this is what we are doing, and, you know, arrange for places to stay, food to eat, and things like that. That's crazy. And, you know, how did you stay, you know, like, mentally, like, how did, like what kept you going mentally and physically? Because that's a lot to do. Like, was the point when you had mm -hmm. doubts or that time when you felt like giving up? Absolutely. So... I have two examples. The first one in the 315 mile walk um, within, I would say the first day or two days of walking, um, we did about 27 miles, which is a pretty long distance, but my feet got tons and tons of blisters. Um, yeah, you know, and so, so right away, there is just all these, there's this huge setback, um, 
But part of the reason why I chose to do something like this is 315 miles, you know, walking that distance is something that I, I don't know anyone in my own life here in America or my family that has done such a thing. Um, and it really is a testament to the capabilities, both physically and mentally. Um, and I figured if I can push myself to walk this distance, even facing hardships, both physically and mentally, uh, it can show myself the power that I have to really achieve anything I set my mind to. Um, and the big thing that we hit home about is the pain of walking 315 miles or like our last walk in November, 520 miles, you're going to feel a lot of pain in your body and in your mind. But as soon as that walk is done, two weeks after, three weeks after, you feel fine. Your body heals itself. You drink water, you sleep. But women and children who are abused and who are raped and taking advantage of, that pain is everlasting. That pain never goes away. And so it was almost as a symbol uh, to put ourselves through intentional pain, um, you know, to stand in solidarity with women because the pain that they go through is, you know, a lifelong experience. Yeah, scarily true. And, you know, like before actually traveling to Sierra Leone or even like before or before doing the walk, like how did you feel? Like how did you, you know, men- like mentally prepare yourself to actually do the walk and like, like did you feel nervous before it or anything? I'll be honest with you. I thought I was crazy and I was honestly scared. It was nothing I'd ever done in my life before. And, you know, I told, uh, I was raised by a single mother and I told her where I was going and what I was doing. And she was also, she's like, you're crazy and I'm scared for your safety. But, um, I like putting myself in those positions of discomfort and positions where it is a little bit scary because I don't know what's going to happen or how to necessarily prepare. Um, you know, but just putting, putting my faith in my friends and my family in Sierra Leone, but also just into the universe to know that, you know, if I put my best effort forward, um, you know, things will work the way they need to. Well, and is your what, friends and family that support you or was it, uh, I'm just going to do this anyway, sort of thing? Um, it was, I did have a lot of support. Um, I think, I mean, Sierra Leone is a place from my own experience that, again, I don't know anyone else who has traveled there. I don't think it's a highly traveled place um, for a lot of people. And that was part of my motivation, um, you know, for it as well is, you know, we can all sit on our phones these days and look through Instagram, look through TikTok, Facebook, whatever. There are people who travel the world and make a living doing it, but they also travel to places that a lot of people go to and can have access to. Um, places like Sierra Leone and other countries in West Africa aren't as often seen in the space of travel. And, um, there's a lot of hidden beauty within countries like that, both in the landscapes and more importantly in the people. Um, and so having that opportunity to simply just shine a light on a country that I think is one of the most beautiful in the world, uh, was a huge motivation. Okay. Interesting. So... Like, I kind of want to ask, did you actually really travel to, like, different villages, like, each and every day, or was there a point when you was in, like, the same place for at least two days or so? So, in the, in the first walk uh, in January, 315 miles, we did, uh, the walk was 23 days, and we walked 22 days straight. So, every single day, we would wake up, our 
strategy is we would wake up before the sun because as we know, the sun in Sierra Leone is extremely hot. Um, and especially me coming from the West of a cooler climate, um, I just burn. I get <laughs> so hot. I can imagine. Uh, my skin, I can imagine my, Yeah, my skin does not do, do so well. It, it adjusts, but it's tough. Um, so we would walk very early in the morning, usually before the sun would come up. And then we would get to the village in the afternoon. Um, and I would say probably 70% of the villages that we stayed in, uh, we spent time engaging with the community, uh, having a community ceremony where we would invite women as well as men from the community. Um, and we would wash the feet of the women. And we would do this as an act of public apology, um, you know, to invite men from the community to you know, acknowledge the wrongs that we have all committed towards women in our communities and in society. Um, and wash those away and, you know, give space for women to share their experiences. I'm glad that you mentioned, you know, like your talks and discussions and the washing of feet, because, you know, obviously I've saw your documentaries. So why was it actually washing feet? Like, why, like what, what made you choose that as the symbol, as an, as an act of an apology? So Hindalo was the one that came up with the idea of the washing of the feet. Um, and he tied it back to his own faith as a Christian. Um, you know, in I myself am not a very religious person, but as Hindalo explained, there are parts in the Bible where um, different prophets wash the feet. Um, and he said that that is, you know, an act of humility, an act of solidarity, um, you know, and showing women that we stand beside them and that we want to honor them for all that they do. Um, you know, because at the end of the day, any of us here today would not be who we are or where we are without women. You know, they are, they are the giver of life. Um, and it's, it's really crazy the way in which globally uh, in each society, women are very much mistreated, yet they are the ones who ultimately give us the life we have. Most definitely. Um, so what kind of like, reaction did you get from the communities like when you were actually giving the, you know, like the talks and these gestures? Like, what kind of responses did you get while you was there? The, re the response was a majority of it was good. Um, I, I guess I will I'll pull on the second walk, the 520 watt mile walk we did in November. Um, and there was a lot of there was a lot of positive responses but because we did 520 miles we obviously walked much farther than the first time there was a handful of communities we came to where either the women in the community were not comfortable with doing it um, and there were also communities we went to where the men uh, were very against what we were doing and did not really see or understand the purpose behind um, you know what we were trying to raise awareness for I'm glad that you mentioned that again because you know I saw again it's like a documentary that some at some point someone questioned you saying like what's walking gonna do and it's just like after that comment because for me like I feel like, that, like that's a bit of a setback like wow like, I'm trying to do all these things and you know it's not really like appreciated so how did you feel and what did you do after hearing that comment like did it change anything that you'd done after that? Yeah, so I remember that day that was right before we got into Kenema, and uh, we had the ceremony and the washing of the feet in the morning, and there was a man who talked to me, pulled me aside and said, what you were doing is absolutely great, this is awesome, but he said you were here for one night and one morning, 
and now you walk and you leave and you will probably never be back. And he said, do you think this is going to have any real lasting impact or do you think that this will just continue to go on even after your time? Um, and it made me think a lot. I think it was one of those questions where it was very easy to feel set back and to kind of feel like, is what we are doing actually having an impact? Um, and the truth is, is an issue like rape and sexual violence in a country like Sierra Leone and across the world, it's a hard issue to tackle. And I cannot say if it's an issue that ultimately can be solved. But the more and more that we begin to have these conversations and give space in community settings to talk about it, that's how change can happen. Um, so I think the question was one that was good to receive, especially at that point in the walk. When I received that question, it was probably day five or six of the entire, you know, 30, 40 days that we walked in November. Um, so it was important for me to just keep that in the back of my mind to know that we are having an impact, but we must still think about ways that we can further this impact and, you know, continue the momentum carrying forward. Well, was you able to think about other, have you been able to think of or that, you know, actually come up with different ways of dealing with this or is it still being thought about? So the couple ideas that Hindalo and I have had, none of these are in, in plan yet, um, but we have thought of things, uh, what we call masculinity without violence training, where we have both um, groups within the communities as well as groups within the schools um, that ultimately are just spaces for conversation to happen. Um, and ultimately in each community, there would be a group of three to four community leaders who would guide these conversations. And, you know, maybe they happen on a biweekly basis or a monthly basis um, at a center point in town or at the school. Um, because as we know, a lot of things are generational. So some of the pushback that we got from the men oftentimes was, you know, older men in the community. Um, and even as we know, being young people in the US and you are over in London, um, we think differently than older generations. I mean, I think that's just human nature. Um, and so by having these conversations of what does it mean to be a man in society in Sierra Leone? What is it like to express my feelings to the people that I love and things like that? Um, if we can begin implementing those kinds of conversations into the school setting at a very young age, I think it can have a very big impact in the way, you know, young men see their role as, um, you know, brothers and fathers in society um, and just how we see our role best treating women. I couldn't even agree anymore. So how did you actually plan, you know, um, your talks with the different villages? Like, did you let them know that in advance that you was coming or did you just show up? Like, how did you actually plan this trip? Because it's hard to be in some communication with you know, people in these Yeah, areas. so the communication, um, so Mike, I don't know, have you been to Sierra Leone yourself? Yeah, yes. It's been oh, a while, yeah. but I've been. Um, yes, and I'm sure as you know from your own experience, uh, my friend Hindalo, who's from there, he describes things as it's ultimately like organized chaos. Like everything is going very fast, and it is chaotic, but it's in a very organized sense. You know, that works yes. for them. Sounds, um, sounds about right. Part, yeah, it's part of the fun. But 
when I when I arrived for the 315 mile walk as well as um, for the 520 mile walk, we spent about a week or two before the walk, and we would just hop on motorbikes. We started in Freetown and we drove all the way across the country, and we drove the route of which we were going to walk. And about a week or two in advance, we come to the village or come to the city and meet with either um, leaders in the city or in the villages, we would speak to the town chief. Um, and we would just say, this is who we are. This is what we plan to do. Um, we would love to come in a few days and uh, you know, receive housing. If someone in the community could cook for us, we'd love to compensate them for that um, and also hold that community gathering. And the one, the one thing that was very unique about the experience that I really enjoyed is Hindalo spoke about uh, this traditional culture that exists in Sierra Leone in that when you travel to Sierra Leone and you're either a traveler from Sierra Leone or from a different country, traditionally, when you arrive to a village, um, the town chief, if you present yourself, should take you in, give you a place to stay, give you food, give you water. Um, and instead of going to each town and getting a guest house or a hotel, um, we slept wherever we were offered, whether that be in the grass huts in the eastern region, um, or we would stay in homes in some of the bigger villages. Um, you know, so we would ultimately give, take whatever was offered to us um, and really had that full community experience, sleeping and living among people um, from each place. You know, I, I'm glad the fact, the fact that you're very grateful for, you know, what you was given and what was given your way. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I've been Sierra Leone myself and I know that there's a lot of poverty there. And mm -hmm. whatever you do while you're there, results like the talk of money always comes up. So if so, like there's always people there willing to help you, where it always comes at a price. For whatever reason, obviously we all know why. If you turn left, there's money, like they ask for money, right? Every little thing, it always results to money. So how did you Absolutely. like how did you feel about that, having to deal with always asking for tips and all of that? Yeah, so one of one of my videos on my YouTube, um, we are leaving Freetown and we get stopped by the police as well as other people, I mean, three or four or five different times. And each time they're asking us for money. Um, even when I arrived to the airport, I was asked for a tip. Um, and me personally, from my own experience, you know, I've gotten lots of comments on YouTube. Some people say this is very bad that this is happening. Other people are saying, you know, you should just say no and deny it. Um, but I, I see it in a couple different ways. So when I'm in cities like Freetown or Bo or Kenema, there are a lot of people that do ask me for money. Um, and personally, I have no problem saying no, because if I am to give money to someone or am I am to support someone, there must be that relationship. You know, when I went to Sierra Leone my first time, I met some of Hindalo's children who lived in Bo. My my friend and brother Abdu, my sister T, Kinney Toma. Um, and these are people that I have continuously built relationships for, and I would be happy to support them in any way I can. Um, and so I noticed in the bigger cities, there was more of an emphasis on you're a foreigner and I know you have money, which absolutely is true. When you're in Sierra Leone as a foreigner, oftentimes your money goes a long way. Um, when they would ask me, it would never bother me because I understood that, you know, life is, life is difficult in Sierra Leone. It's very hard to get a job and very hard to survive. Um, in the villages, I felt that there was less of an emphasis on money, but more on an emphasis of, we're just curious about why you're here. Um, you know, because maybe they don't see travelers from different countries as much. Um, 
but the question of money never really bothered me. And, you know, the people that I did support during my time over there, um, you know, support now, the relationship is there. And that's, I think, important for anyone traveling anywhere in the world. Um, You know, even in America, there's a lot of homelessness all throughout America, even in my own city. And rather than just giving people money that you don't know, the length of help that you can give can go a lot longer if you can build a relationship. No, most definitely. And, the, and I'm glad for that I was actually able to see that inside, you know, your documentary. So like, what actually made you like vlog this and how did that the people feel about being filmed if they knew about it? Yeah, so, um, you know, that was something that uh, was definitely a question for me going into the experience. I I'm not a professional videographer, not a professional photographer. I have a camera. I had a dream to do <laughs> this kind of work. And I had an opportunity. I said, let's do it. You know, especially the first walk, I will always tell people I showed up to Sierra Leone knowing absolutely nothing about shooting a documentary or anything. But I just told people, I was like, oh, this is what I do. And everyone believed me. Um, ultimately, it was it was a situation of you fake it till you make it. And it worked. Um When there were certain situations, I would say very few, but there were situations where people would ask about the camera, like, why are you filming us? I remember specifically, um, there was one video I created on my last day in Sierra Leone when I was near Lumley. I was near the, or not Lumley, I was near the airport. Uh, I was right by the airport and I was filming a couple videos. Uh, I was filming a TikTok of all the food that I ate during the day. And I remember a man saw me filming and he ultimately got upset and, you know, had a conversation about me about why that was wrong. But I just explained to him, I said, you know, I don't come here to cause any harm. I come here as a traveler because I want to show the rest of the world everything that I love about this country and everything that I think is cool. Um, And of course, it was a little bit of a nerve wracking situation because he was visibly upset. But it's funny because after the fact, that is one of the videos I've posted online that has done the best, I think, with like 35,000 views. A lot of people have seen it, uh, but that always makes me laugh because that one of the clips in that video was one that did get me yelled at by someone for filming. Uh, But the majority of the walk, people were perfectly fine being on camera. I had one conversation with a police officer and he was very happy to share his experience. Um, You know, the people of Sierra Leone are just very, very friendly, very open, um, extremely generous. Most definitely. And the funny thing is, I'm glad that you actually mentioned the airport as well. Because for me, that's like the scariest part. When first, because each time I've arrived, there's always at night. There's so many people around trying to, um, I, I, I absolutely hate it. You know, people trying to help you out with your suitcases. You, yep. Suitcases, you have to watch every bag that you have. And, you know, everything comes with a price. So how did you feel like when you first went there and like, having to do a bit? So my first ever time in Sierra Leone, again, I've been there three times. My first time in January of 2020, you know, I've been flying from America for like 20 plus hours and I finally get to Sierra Leone and we actually arrived in like the afternoon or the evening. And I will never forget, I got off the plane, we got into the the single building that is the airport and it was just absolute chaos. People yelling, people trying to grab bags. And I was I was like, wow, this is, this is a different world over here. Things are done differently. Um, my second time around, I brought, um, not only my stuff, but stuff for my brother Hindalo. Um, and it was less of a scary experience, but 
especially this last time was a, a very um, funny experience because I arrived in the, in the night. So I arrived around 3 a.m. and I got my bags and I went and got the COVID test. Um, and I had already prearranged I was going to stay at a guest house across the street. Yeah. And although I could, hi- I could hire a taxi uh, to drive me there, I knew you're at the airport, you're a foreigner, they're going to charge you a ton of money. Um, and so I left the airport at like three in the morning in the complete dark, carrying all my luggage and walked about a half mile to my guest house. Uh, when I arrived to the guest house, no one was awake. It was completely quiet. Um, and so I stood out there for about 15, 20 minutes knocking until someone finally came. But the airport is a, a very interesting experience over in Sierra Leone. Um, absolutely. You know, and when we talk about like opportunities that I see in Sierra Leone, I think, you know, I, I know they have plans to make a new or build a new airport. Um, I think there's a lot of opportunity specifically in Lungi, uh, in, in the surrounding area. But right now I do, I, I think that that could be an experience for foreigners that could scare them off. I myself, I find a lot of joy and excitement in those situations, even though it is hectic and it's crazy. It's like, this is part of the fun of what I get to do is be in these situations. But, um, you know, I do know other people that have been there from the U S and other places and they're like, it's scary. It's intense. Um, you know, it's something that people maybe don't like. Yeah, most definitely. And I can hundred percent understand. Um, so what was it like, you know, traveling along those bikes? Cause I was watching this documentary and you was on that bike for a very long time. Like, and the thing is with like Sierra Leone and the roads with all the rocks and the hills that, I was just thinking, how did you cope mm-hmm. with that? Like, I know there was good parts, but <laughs> I saw a couple bad parts. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Um, you know, there's, I made a video probably a year and a half ago uh, called Sierra Leone's Most Dangerous Road. And it's a road yeah. from the city of Bo all the way to the village of Mandima. Um, and that road is, I mean, the craziest, the craziest experience I've ever had. You start on a paved path and then it turns dirt. And then an hour and a half later, you're going up the side of the mountain. Um, you know, and I've, I've gotten in bike accidents while I've been over there. I was in a head-on bike accident in 2021. Um, I had my foot hit by a rock. I mean, I've had plenty of crazy things happen to me over there. Um, and again, I mean, in hindsight, thinking back, definitely was scary. And I could have gotten injured very much so. Um, but it's also like learning experiences, uh, of being in those situations and knowing like when I'm on a bike, I should probably not wear shorts and sandals. I should probably wear pants and boots. Um, but my body definitely hurts. You know, it's hard. I'm, I'm a bigger guy. I'm like six, six foot two and sitting on those bikes for that long time, you know, your body, your body definitely hurts. I can imagine that. I, that's what I'm I don't even know how you manage. And so, like, with, you know, like all the different villages that you met, like that you came across and done your talks with, which one do you feel like you left the biggest impact with? Hmm. The biggest impact, I would say, um, it's a good question. I'm thinking back to all the ones that we stayed. I think the very first. For the 520 mile walk we did in November, I think in the village of Kailan, which is the border town between Liberia and Sierra Leone, Hmm. um, the community ceremony we had there was absolutely incredible. Um, We had the Paramount Chief 
who joined us not only that day, but the next morning to walk seven miles to the next village. Um, and I received a lot of, you know, thank yous and just a lot of affirmations uh, from people in the village, just thanking me for coming and for doing this kind of work. Um, and I think that was very cool because it was the very first, you know, it was the day before the walk started. So having that experience there and that momentum carried forward, um, you know, throughout the entire walk. Okay, so you basically felt embraced, like they took you in and everything. Absolutely, yeah. And through, I, I think throughout my entire time, um, both doing these walks as well as just being in Sierra Leone, um, my own personal experience, I've always felt very welcomed uh, and embraced in, in Sierra Leone as a foreigner and as a traveler. Um, you know, it's, it's a very welcoming community. I can imagine. So I'm a mix of two because I just asked you, you know, like the struggles that a bit of the struggles that you face. And then you just spoken about, you know, being embraced. So like, what was like the scariest part of the experience? Because when I first saw the video of, you know, like, the most dangerous road, I didn't know that you was actually physically talking about the road. I thought you was going to mention the people. Because don't forget, you're coming across a lot of different people at different times of the day, at night. So what was that like? Wasn't there any like scary parts other than the airport experience, which. Yeah. So uh, going back to that video, Sierra Leone's most dangerous road. Um, that was, that was definitely a moment where it was scary. There's something that I realized and I realized this last time in Sierra Leone, my third time, um, you know, when you ride the motorbike again, I always suggest to people who go there, um, you know, have a connection or a relationship with someone there. But ultimately with the traveling I was doing, we would just get motorbikes on the streets or in the villages. So you couldn't always guarantee who was driving you all the time. Um, and some of the motorbike drivers, I don't, you know, they're not very concerned with the safety of their riders. I think that's mm. something that a lot of people experience yeah. because, you know, you got to make your money, you got to go fast. And that, you know, in that video, the guy who was driving me, I don't think cared for my safety and I don't have any hard feelings. Um, but it's just something I noticed that there are certain drivers, um, especially with transportation, you know, it, it is dangerous there in Sierra Leone. Um, the roads you drive on as well as the people that drive you. During the day, I never felt unsafe. Um, there were some times at night, um, you know, depending on the place you are in the city you're in, you know, if you're in a village, most times you're pretty safe, but in the cities at night, it's just more dangerous. Um, and not necessarily even the people, but the government of Sierra Leone has not invested a lot of money into public transportation, specifically things like streetlights. And I think oh, there's wow. a huge opportunity. I mean, it's like for someone who, to bring people to Sierra Leone who have never been there before, they would like lose their mind because when, when the sun goes down, the busyness doesn't stop. If anything, it gets sure. a little busier because it's cooler. And there's tons of people driving. Um, and even in, in November of 2021, you know, it, it hit the news that there was a giant explosion in um, a neighborhood right outside of Freetown, yeah. um, a neighborhood that I, that I stayed in. And there was over 100 people killed. And being in Sierra Leone, I mean, I get how that can happen. That's a very easy thing for it to happen because there's no streetlights and people just driving crazy. Oh, my. <laughs> Oh, true. So, like, no, it's actually crazy. But so, like, in your opinion, how do you feel that like we could build up side of the economy with streetlights and 
because in my eyes, I feel like there's always a lot of politics behind it. So like, what are your thoughts? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I don't, in my time of being there, I've tried to learn as much as I can about the current state of the politics. Um, you know, and as many of us know, back in the 90s, Sierra Leone uh, and that region of the world was a part that was under civil war for 10 years, you know, a horrible, bloody civil war. But if you go there now in 2020, 2021, 2022, you would never even know that a civil war took place. You know, people are so kind and so gracious. Um, it's almost hard for me to imagine that that once occurred there. But in that part of the world, as well as others, we know corruption runs rampant. I mean, corruption, I think, is one of the biggest issues that does happen in Sierra Leone, um, you know, from all the way up on the people on the street, all the way up through the government. Um, you know, so I don't know if I have any solutions per se as what different policies and things like that that the government can do. Um, other than I think personally, I, I do think that Sierra Leone has the money to make those changes, but I think things like greed and power um, ultimately prevent the government from helping the economy and helping the people in the way that I think they know that they could. As sad as it sounds, I couldn't agree anymore. Um, mm -hmm. So like the different cult, like, so you came into Sierra Leone free town and you came across, you know, different villages and different cultures. So like, how is it like for you as an outsider coming in and, you know, seeing the different cultures? Like, what did you enjoy about the cultures? Like, was there anything that stood so, out for you? Yeah. So the one thing, especially, so I love being in the villages, you know, the rural life in Sierra Leone is absolutely incredible. When you wake up in the morning, um, there's a couple differences that I realized right away. So being here in America, we all live either in apartments and flats or in houses here. But the thing about America is that you spend majority of your time outside of your house. You live and you work in society and all those things. Where in the villages of Sierra Leone, um, you know, people live near their houses, but they spend most of their time outside. Um, so I think that was one difference is I think a lot of us in Western societies, we spend a lot of time inside, inside of our homes. Um, and especially with COVID in America, the way I've seen it affect my own community is everyone was forced to stay inside and it caused this disconnect between people. Um, you know, where I live in America, I don't even know my neighbors to the right or left of me, but in Sierra Leone, especially in the villages, everyone knows everybody. And there's, there's much more of a sense of community um, that I felt there than I feel in my own community. Um, and I also think that the, the essence and the foundation of a family in Sierra Leone is much deeper and broader than it is, at least in my experience in America. You know, my family doesn't all live together. We all live separate places. Um, but in the villages, it's like you live in the same house with your parents, with your grandparents, um, as your siblings and your aunts and uncles. And it's a different style of living than what I grew up, but it's a style of living that I almost want to say that, you know, I desire to have someday. You know, I like that community setting um, and being in those spaces where people do know each other um, and it feels like a true community. Oh, it's very true because the thing is, like, as big as Sierra Leone is, it's still small at the same time. And literally everybody mm -hmm. knows everybody. And even like yep. my parents like tell me about because I, I was born here in the UK, but my parents, you know, was born and raised there. And it's literally all the parents, all like they all know each other. 
So it's just like if yep. you're caught in the street doing something, your parents might not catch you or and discipline you, but somebody else is definitely going to catch yep. you and they will discipline you as well. It's not like the UK and US where you know you just tell them off. Oof, over there, it's a little bit more serious. Yep. So absolutely. Back the, so going back to the cultures, like the foods, like what was that like for you? Like, you know, which ones did you love the most? So my, my very first trip to Sierra Leone, uh, so Hindelo and his organization, he, up until COVID, uh, he used to bring students from the U.S. every single year to Sierra Leone. And he would give them what I've come to learn now is kind of the Western experience in Sierra Leone. You know, when you first get there, you bring them through Freetown, certain places, and you kind of, you go to the nice beaches and you have lunch on the beach. Yeah. And especially in Lumley, you know, there's some, there's some restaurants along the beach in Lumley. But if I can recommend anything to anyone who goes to Sierra Leone, you don't want to eat the food at the restaurants on the beach. You want to find the place that is literally just a couple pieces of sheet metal and a couple wood sticks. And there's a person in there cooking, cooking rice and plasas over, over an open fire, because that is the best food. Um, my, my friends there who are Mendy, they call it Saki, which is cassava leaf. And I think I could eat yeah. cassava leaf from now until the day I die. Uh, <laughs> That's the best one. You know, I, part, part, of, part of going to Sierra Leone, part of me buying the plane ticket is just so I can go eat some real cassava leaf. You know, I'm, I'm happy to do the work I'm doing over there, but I just want to eat the food. Um, you know, I could, be, I could be happy for the rest of my life just sitting under the palm tree eating my cassava leaf. Well, there's nothing better than cassava leaf in my opinion. Mm-hmm. But you know what? Doing what's the op- what's worse than that? Why? Do- what made you mix the stews, man? What made you mix it? What What would you think? Come on! Was you just loving it that much? Like you just want to mix? Oh, when I saw that, I was like, I was I was loving it too much that night specifically. <laughs> I was I was so hungry all day, and we had we had okra stew, which is another one of my favorites. Oh, um, and you know the the person on our team, my sister, her name is T. Um, Tienge, and she she was our cook, and so she cooked the okra stew. And they said they're like, we also have cassava leaf, and I was like, I'm gonna do both. And they told me they're like, um, my friends all call me Pumui, which is white man over there, and they're like, Pumui, you need to be very careful. This could be bad for your stomach. And I'm like, I'll be totally okay. Um, and I was not okay. I definitely <laughs> spent a lot of time the next day in the bush. Um, but again, you know, when I go to Sierra Leone. Like, I know that eating food off the street or eating food in the villages, like, there is a possibility that I get oh, yeah, well, But to, to me, to me, it's absolutely worth it, you know. Again, similar to the walk, that pain that I'm going to experience being sick, it will be gone in a few days. But, you know, the experience of eating traditional food off the street and in the villages of a country like Sierra Leone, is, it's worth it to me every time. Well, have you tried to learn to cook any of these dishes? Yeah, so I, I have not cooked cassava leaf at home here in Minnesota, uh, but I have cooked, I cook it pretty often, okra stew. Um, and I absolutely love it. When I show some of my friends here, they're very curious uh, and they think it's pretty interesting. Um, but I'm, I'm trying to convert all my friends here in America to start eating African food because, I mean, they're missing out. They don't, they don't know what they're most missing. Most definitely, most definitely, man. Like, on. Oh. It's hard to fit them on. I, I, I feel like it will take a while, but I have faith in you. It will take a while. It will definitely take Absolutely. a while. So, like, what shocked you the most about the country itself? Like, 
I think, I think the biggest thing that shocked me the most is, so I grew up here in the West and in the United States. And I think the way our education system is, there's a certain image that has been given to us. And this is my own experience, but there was a certain image that I was given in school and in society of what Africa looks like and, you know, what life is like there. And a lot of times they give this perception that um, Africa is broken. There's all these problems, there's poverty, there's hunger, there's all these things. And while, yes, that is true in many situations, in America, there's also equally as many issues, issues of poverty, issues of homelessness, issues of hunger, issues of rape and sexual violence. And over the few times that I have been to Sierra Leone, I kept doing this like compare and contrast and thinking about, okay, what are the things I have in my life in America? And what are the things that, you know, people have in their lives in Sierra Leone? And in the West, in the Western world, we have a lot of material objects, you know, we have a lot of just stuff and things. And, you know, a lot of people will be like, well, we have a lot more than them. We have more resources. We have a lot more material things. But at the very core level of us as just humans uh, in the West, in my own experience, I think we have a big disconnect in community. I don't think we are as connected to each other as people in Sierra Leone are. I don't think that we, you know, when I walk here in America on the street, you will walk past someone and everyone has their head down or everyone has their phone on a screen. Where it's when I'm in Sierra Leone, you walk past people and you say, hello, good morning, how are you? And just to think about walking around any city in the U.S. and just saying hi to strangers, people would be like, what's wrong with you? <laughs> um, you know, people would be like, what's, what's wrong with this guy? Why is he talking to everybody? But, you know, in Sierra Leone, I think the biggest thing is that it's easy to perceive places like Sierra Leone as having quote unquote less. But when you spend time there and when you spend time in these communities and in the culture, in many ways, I think Sierra Leone has a lot more than the U.S. and other countries do have. And I think there's a lot that every single person in a lot of communities can learn from uh, from these places. And, uh, definitely understand. Definitely understand. So, you know, I'm asking, you know, meeting different people and greeting them. Did you, like, have you started to learn any of the languages? Yeah, so um, in terms of Creole, I don't, I can't speak Creole very well, but I can understand it. When I'm listening to people <laughs> talk, I can pick up on a lot of it. Um, but I also know, the language I know most is Mendi. Um, I know how to say hello, um, you know, Bise, Kawiena, Kaigoma. Lots of Kaigomas all throughout the country. Um, I also learned, it was interesting during the 520 mile walk as we got to different parts of the country, you know, there's so many different traditional languages all throughout Sierra Leone. And so a lot of times in the South, we would walk through the villages and the children would yell Pumwi, which is the word for white man in the Mendi language. And then we would get a little into the North and we would meet the Timneys and they would call me Opato. Um, there was one, there was one area in like the Northwest and they would call me Babu. Um, so it's just interesting going village to village and seeing how different people, people greeted me. Well, what was the translation for the Temini one? Like the last two that you just said. So I'm Creole, isn't it? So. Okay. Timni, Timni, Timni was Opato. Opato was white man. And then, uh, I don't know the name of the tribe in the Northwest, but they would call me Babu. Okay. Well, did you feel like, did you feel any discrimination or racism by like them saying that or calling you? 
any of these things? No, I, the whole experience? I did not feel any. So I did not feel any of that. And, you know, that was, that was a question a lot of people had asked me from America. A lot of my friends and even family had asked me, they're like, when you go there, are you the only white person? And in most places that I was, I was the only white person. And I never felt any different or looked at. Um, I mean, and the biggest thing is, you know, a lot of times the children would come because maybe they haven't seen someone from outside of the country before. Mm. Um, and it never, it never bothered me. And I remember having a conversation in my second visit to Sierra Leone uh, when I was living in Bo. I lived in Bo for about a month. And my brother at the time, Solomon, I had a conversation and I asked him, I said, is, is racism a thing in Sierra Leone? Do people think differently of others because of skin color? And he said the most fascinating thing that will forever stick with me. And he said, in Sierra Leone, he's like, there is no racism. He's like, most of us here, we view racism as a mental illness of the West. And I thought that was so interesting that it was perceived that way. And in many ways, I mean, I, I agree fully. I think the perception that a lot of our world has still this day, and especially in America, mm-hmm. of viewing people less because of skin color, because of social class, or because of this or that, it's just the way our minds have been programmed through all the things that we've been raised by. Um, and in many ways, I do. I think it's a mental illness. Most definitely, Lan. It's really a shame that is actually a thing that still goes on in today's society. Mm-hmm. So, um, like what, like now that you know, like you're back, although like you've been there what three times now, been to Sierra Leone three times. Like, what do you actually miss about your experiences with the walk with the walks? What I miss most about the walk is um, every single day you would wake up and there would be something new. You know, you would be heading to a new village, a new community, um, and having that time and space to, like, be on the road walking. And we averaged about, I would say, 12 to 15 miles a day. But during the 520-mile walk, there was days where we were walking 20 to 25 miles. There was one day, I think our record was 33 miles in one day, which was absolutely crazy. But having all that time on the road to think and be with yourself, you know, I feel like I learned a lot about myself. Um, I also would listen to a lot of music and a lot of podcasts. So I felt like I was learning a lot of things while I was walking. Um, But I would say I I miss my friends most. And I just had this conversation recently with a friend here in the U.S. Um, who has also done traveling all throughout the world. And the thing that I miss most about Sierra Leone is when I am in Sierra Leone, I feel 100% comfortable to be completely myself. I don't feel like there's any judgment. I don't feel like I have to think twice about the way I act or the way I represent myself. Where in America, I oftentimes feel that there's just a higher level of judgment or like societal status that people yeah. kind of have to, you know, there's a certain way you got to act and yeah, most definitely. With, most my, definitely. with my friends there. I just, I felt free, you know, that's the biggest thing is every single time being there three times, every time I get to that airport in Lungi and every time I get to Freetown or to the village, I just feel like this like weight lifted off my shoulders and I feel this sense of like freedom to just completely be myself, um, you know, and do the things that I love. Um, you know, documenting that entire experience is something, you know, when I've done blogging here in the U.S., a little tough, you know, especially if people in public looking at you over in Sierra Leone, it never bothered me. I felt perfectly comfortable. 
So, you know, someone who hasn't been to Sierra Leone, like, what would you recommend, like, things to do there? Or, like, how would you, like, explain, like, you know, advertise Sierra Leone from your own experiences? Yeah, so I would obviously re recommend, you know, the big thing that I tell people is if you're going to go to Sierra Leone, try to find, you know, obviously a connection in the country. Um, but I would say make make friends, you know, before you go, if that's possible, or even if you solo travel over there, um, there are tons of hostels, there are tons of, you know, hotels, especially in Freetown. But I think the best experience possible is, you know, making friends and building relationships with locals, because you can go to a place like Sierra Leone, and you can go up into the western part of Freetown, and you can see all the nice beaches and all the nice hotels. And I've had people in my videos that I've posted on YouTube and on TikTok, people say, they're like, why don't you show the beautiful beaches we have and the nice hotels and the restaurants? And although there are those things, me personally, and what I'd recommend to people is go live in a place like Wellington, a place that, you know, people would consider a rougher area of Freetown or go live in the village for a couple of days. Like see life that you wouldn't normally see or experience in anywhere else. You can go anywhere in the world and you can stay at a nice hotel or go to a nice beach. But get into those communities and get into those, um, you know, spaces where it is uncomfortable and you're going to meet new people and have conversations, experience that might be outside your comfort zone, but there's a lot to be gained from that. Okay, that's interesting, you know, because I, I really feel like you was going to start talking about the beaches and the arcades and everything else. Mm -hmm. Obviously, again, the yeah. And I, I've been to a couple of the hotels and a couple of the beaches, um, and they're fun, definitely. But just me, me myself, and what I look for out of an experience of traveling is, um, you know, I kind of like to go on the rougher side of things. You know, some people go, and a lot of people, you know, they'll travel for vacation. And although it's like I do consider that when I travel, um, you know, Sierra Leone in many ways was a vacation, but not many people go and walk 520 miles in the country as a vacation. Um, so I think my perception on, you know, what is fun and what is quote unquote vacation um, is a little different than most people. But the experience that I get out of that is uncomparable to that of just a trip to the beach or a trip to the hotel. I definitely. Wait, so when you go to other countries, like, do you always go there with a mission or do you ever just go for a vacation to actually just relax or anything? Yeah, so it's actually funny. I've only... So the only two countries I've been to, uh, I live in America, but I've been to Sierra Leone three times. And then I also last summer, I went to a country called Iceland, which is up in the north. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, almost at the top of the world. Um, and Iceland is a pretty, it's not a very populated country. Um, and that was more so, I would say, quote unquote, vacation. Um, and what I did there is I just took a trip driving around the country and doing tons of hikes. Um, I also have a trip coming up this September. I'm going over to India and then I'll be going into Pakistan. Um, and, you know, my, my goal in being in India and Pakistan is I somewhat have a mission of like certain videos I want to film and like questions I'm looking to answer. Um, but I'm trying to find that balance of, you know, doing things that are like, I want to go for these long hikes or, you know, I want to travel down to Mumbai and see, you know, what a very populated city is. Um, while also doing things like maybe I should spend a day at an amusement park or go, uh, to a party with my friends or things like that. Um, you know, because I, I'm 24 and 
you know, I'm a kid. I like to party. Wow. I like to have fun. Um, and so, you know, having those experiences, just a combination of them. You've done all of this at the age of 24. 24. And I probably don't look 24 because I just shaved my head. So I'm looking. Yeah, I was, was going to mention you look a little bit different from your videos. Yeah, yeah. I just, my, the last time I got my haircut was in uh, 2020. 2020, and it was in Sierra Leone. I got a haircut in Sierra Leone. I tell people, a Sierra Leone haircuts are some of the cheapest haircuts you'll get in the entire world. Ah, there's, um, a lot, there's a lot of I cheap paid, stuff in Sierra Leone. Yes, I paid I about one US dollar for a haircut and I got back to America and they were charging $20 for a haircut and I was like, I'm not going to do it. Um, but yeah, I grew my hair for a very long time and then I cut it. But it is, I, I catch myself day to day being here in America and working and, you know, just trying to survive financially and all those things. Um, we all face stress in our own ways, uh, in our own lives. And, you know, life gets hard. But I, I do then, you know, through conversations like this, I remind myself I am only 24 and there has been a lot of travel and a lot of things I've been able to do. Yeah, you've definitely done a lot within your time. Definitely within your time. And, you know, what else I, what, something else I wanted to ask was like dealing with the weather. Because if you're from Minnesota, which is a cold place, coming to Sierra Leone now, where it's hot from the morning all the way to evening. <laughs> like, how did you adapt? I just suffered through it. I mean, I don't think there was any other way other than I, I got there. And I think from the time I stepped off the plane, probably, you know, the body adjusts a little bit. Um, especially my, my second time to Sierra Leone, I was there for 10 weeks. And it took, took probably two or three or four weeks to kind of get adjusted. But it's always funny, like when a Westerner comes to Sierra Leone, they will probably sweat from sun up to sundown for at least a week or two weeks. Like it just doesn't stop. Um, and the one issue I had in the second walk is I, I was getting rashes like all over my arms, all over my legs. And there was a day of the walk that we ended up walking during the heat. And I ended up having to go to the hospital because I had heat stroke. Um, and I would say that was one of the scarier moments I've had just because, you know, you're in, in the very hot sun and my skin is all exposed and, you know, I could just, I could tell something was very wrong. And luckily we got to the hospital. I had an IV put in my arm um, and I, I recovered very well, but I have no game plan or really no suggestions uh, for foreigners other than, you know, if you're fair skin or white like me, bring a lot of sunscreen. Um, and ultimately just get ready to suffer a little bit. <laughs> yeah, basically, laugh. Yeah. You know, it's, so it's going to be hot. There's only so much that you could do. Wait, so what was like? Yeah, absolutely. So how was your hospital experience then? Because I know that the hospitals obviously aren't, aren't like, you know, the ones that we have here. Right. Um, the I mean, it was a very interesting experience. I think the, the thing is I was very lucky because that day of the walk, we actually ended up in a village. Uh, we were in a town called Tongo, which is in the southeast part of the country. Um, and luckily they had a hospital there because there were definitely parts of the walk where, I mean, we were not close to a hospital by any means. I mean, probably like 40, 50 miles. Um, so I was very lucky that that day there was a hospital. And, you know, Sierra Leone healthcare on the world scale is not one of the best. Um, shout out to everyone who's currently locked in as well. So I'm going to take too much more of your time. So you've done your first walk, which was the 315 miles. And you done, and then later on in the year, you've done 500 and how much, sorry? 20, 520 miles. 
which actually ended up being 545. So we went a little over, but it was, it was roughly 520, 540 miles. That's crazy. So after doing the first one, what made you do a second one later on the same year? You know, Hindalo, I think we had a, we had a lot of momentum uh, off of that first walk. You know, we had a lot of momentum. We met a lot of people. Um, and I got back to the U.S. and Hindalo was the one who said we should do another one. Um, you know, and I, I figured what more of a crazy opportunity uh, to not only do it once in a year, but do it twice and almost do double the amount that we walked. And so I told him, I said, let's do it. Um, and I think now after doing 350 miles and especially 520 miles, I don't know if we will ever do that distance again, especially for this project specifically. Um, I know physically I'm able to do it, but I think Hindalo, who Hindalo is in his mid 40s. So he's, he's an older guy um, and it, it is hard on the body. So I think if we were to continue at the rate we're going, doing these very long distance walks, um, I think we would have probably a lot of pain physically. So what we're looking at now is we're looking at planning another walk, not this year, but in 2023. And we want to expand outside of Sierra Leone and start in the capital of Liberia, which is Monrovia. And we want to go from Monrovia all the way up through the north and, and either in Bo or near a village up near Bo uh, in a village named Mandima, where Hindalo is from. So we're looking probably to do 200 or so miles for the next walk sometime next year. Well, wow, that's crazy. And, you know, like towards the start of the show, like you mentioned something about the educational factor that, you know, I think is what raising. What did you want to do? Was it build a school in it, like for education, or what was your? Yep, plan? yeah. Um, so the organization that I'm connected to in Sierra Leone is called Sierra Leone Foundation for New Democracy. That's the one. Um, and it's it's run out of the village of Mandima, which is in Grama Mende uh, Chiefdom in Kenema District. Um, and the organization does early childhood education. So it's one of the very few village preschools in a rural area. So most kids go to primary school, but up until that point, they have no education. So what SLF&D does is they give children an opportunity to go to school uh, before primary school, learn basic reading and writing. And then they also receive two meals a day, which helps with malnourishment and things like that. Um, and then they also do a lot of agriculture. So the whole idea behind SLF&D is educating kids at a very young age and creating opportunities both through agriculture and then different businesses to keep money in the villages. Because as I've seen, uh, a lot of young kids in Sierra Leone leave their villages to go to the big cities because that's where the money is. But if we can build small businesses and different ways for the villages to make money within the village and keep the money there, people would not want to leave. I definitely understand. Wait, so do you have a charity that you're that you got like from all these walks and everything that people can help contribute to? Yes. Um, if you so the letters of the organization, slfnd.org, that uh, website will link everyone to the projects we do, and there's also a way to donate. Um, the big donation campaign that that organization is doing is a monthly donation. So you know, a lot of us, you know, I, I pay every month for like a phone bill. I also have like music streaming apps, yeah. um, you know, 
So we're doing like a subscription basis because I think a lot of people, you know, we all have certain subscriptions that we pay monthly for, whether it's for music or videos or whatever. Um, but that's, that's the big focus area is chip in $5, $10 a month and just let it be a monthly basis. Um, and as we know from being in Sierra Leone, American money or even, you know, uh, pounds in London, it carries a long way. Um, a very long way. So five or ten dollars a month over the course of a year—that's one hundred twenty dollars. You know that is plenty of money uh, for a lot of people there. Oh, that's great. That's great. Um, I'll get you to send me the information so that I can add this onto the link below. Wonderful. Um, but you know, just as we round up, like, what was that the biggest lesson that you took from this whole experience? The biggest lesson that I took from this experience is that I did this project and I went into this project with not knowing whether I could achieve it physically, but then also on the side of, I wanted to document the entire experience so that I could create videos and show the world my experience. And I didn't know how to do those things, you know? And when you're surrounded by a community of people that believes in you and supports you, you don't really need to know what you're doing in order to do something that you've never done before you know you can go into anything really with minimal knowledge but if you have a strong desire within yourself to learn and to achieve things it can absolutely be done um you know and i i learned that i'm very capable of a lot of things i did not know i was capable of in sierra leone um i also learned that you know sierra leone is the place that i do hope in the future to uh, own property and own land um, and even make Sierra Leone a place that I can call home and visit uh, even more frequently, you know. So I think there's a lot of opportunities and things I want to do in Sierra Leone in the future, um, you know, and it's really just only the beginning now. Oh, I definitely hear that. So if you could go back and do one thing differently, what would you have done? Stay longer. <laughs> every, time I gotta, every time I gotta leave, I'm like, I wish I could stay a little longer. Fair play, no, that's a great answer. And, you know, what, what will be the one word you'd use to describe your whole experience? I would say inspiring. Just the entire experience all around, from the people I've met to the foods I ate to the work ethic and to the communities I visited. Um, it gives me a lot of hope and a lot of inspiration to continue doing the things that I'm doing. Um, you know, and, and you're in a similar realm where we're doing these like creative things with social media and through podcasting and through videos. And it takes a lot of work to build those things from the ground up. But there is a lot of people in this world who will support that and also who want to see and consume those types of things. Um, so as I'm in the very early stages of building this business and building this this brand and this vision, um, traveling to a place like Sierra Leone has given me a lot of inspiration to continue pushing. Oh, okay, and the last question, which normally ends up becoming the killer question I ask all of my guests. What would be the movie title of your life biography? Hmm, movie title or biography? <laughs> That's a good question. <laughs> That's why I say it's a killer question when I get people, I always look like, knock people out the park each and every time. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, I think I would simply have it just be 
So my brand is Manatee Media, but I think I would just have the word manatee. Um, you know, manate- the manatees are, they're an animal here in America, um, and they used to have a cousin along the west coast of Africa, but they've went extinct. Um, but everything I do, I have Manatee Media. I also do music. I produce music, and I've been DJing for probably four years. Um, and my music project is called Manatee. Um, so I think just having Manatee be the center point for everything I do, um, you know, would be a good title. Oh, you've been a great guest. Thank you for being on the show. Would you like to let the people know where they can find you? You can find me on all socials at Manatee Media, and it's spelled M-N-A-T-E-E. And if you look that up, you'll be able to find me Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, um, and I have a lot more content coming, especially on YouTube. We still have a ton of videos to come out, and then you know, I'll have a trip coming up in the fall, um, exploring new places and new culture. So what's your next trip? Or let's get a little squeeze of next trip that you got coming up. Yeah, so the next trip is into India. I will be in India in September, um, and I will be spending about three weeks in India, and then I will also be crossing on foot the border from India to Pakistan and spending about five days in Pakistan, um, you know, eating food on the street, meeting with locals, um, and trying to find a bunch of fun things to do while I'm there. Wow. I love the fact that you're so active and you're just trying to find like, such a young age as well, you know. Absolutely. Dustin, thank you for being a great guest on my show. This has been the Tiger Show each and every Monday from 10 p.m. to midnight. As everyone that's locked in, catch you next week. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for having me. Absolute pleasure. Alright. Oh, sorry. I don't know. I could have actually gone for a lot more longer. I, I, yeah. I, 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 I,